Hello and welcome to Hillcrest To Go. I'm your host, John Parker. Today, Dr. Tom Goodman continues his series, The Gospel of John. Today's message is titled, Life in the House of Grace. First, our scripture reading, followed by an important message from Dr. Tom Goodman. Good morning. Today's scripture is from the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five colored colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath, and so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. That man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. God bless the reading of his word. Thank you, John, for our scripture reading today. Now, most of you know the story of Johnny Erickson Tata. When she was 18 years of age, she misjudged the depth of the bay she was diving into, and she struck the bottom hard, and from that point on, she was paralyzed from the neck down. For the first few years of her paralysis, she would reflect on this story that John just read to us from John chapter 5. That man was miraculously healed by Jesus, and she prayed and expected that she also would be miraculously healed by Jesus. That healing never came. And yet, over the years, her faith in God's loving, sovereign plan only grew. She's 71 now, and for 53 years in a wheelchair, she has written and spoken in marvelous ways. She has been an advocate for disabled people, and she has inspired millions of people. She wanted to be healed like this man beside Bethesda. And yet she is living in greater victory than this man beside Bethesda ever experienced. Do you know what the word Bethesda means? Some of you probably know that the Bethesda Naval Hospital in Maryland was named after this story. But what does the word Bethesda mean? It is a combination of two Hebrew words, Beth, which means house, and Hesed, which means grace. So Bethesda means the house of grace. 
And this story teaches us how to live in the house of grace. Those who are in this household serve faithfully like Jesus did, and we stand faithfully with Jesus. Now, those are the two ways that we're to apply this text, but I think before we look at how to apply this text, we need to make sure and understand this text. So let me explain the story. The Apostle John tells us about a man who had been disabled for 38 years. Now imagine if you were here today paralyzed since 1983. That's the experience that this man underwent. It's hard enough in our day uh, to be disabled, even with physical therapists and mobility aids and accessibility laws and uh, social safety net. None of that was in existence in the first century world where Jesus walked the earth. So every day this man would have been carried by somebody down to the pool of Bethesda, and there he would languish along with a bunch of other disabled people begging for a few coins and hoping for a healing. Now, there was a local legend that had developed that whenever the surface of the water stirred, that was the presence of a healing angel in the area. And so the first person, according to the legend, that would get into the water after it had been stirred would enjoy their healing. Now, I imagine 38 years earlier, this man held on desperately to this local legend. Anytime he, he would lock his eyes on that water, and anytime the surface was stirred, he would drag himself toward the water's edge. But everybody would always beat him there. And after 38 years, he had finally given up any hope of healing. And that's why we get to this, what must have been strange to you to read this for the first time. Jesus asked this question, do you want to get well? Who, after 38 years of paralysis, would not want to get well? And yet Jesus was appealing to his will. He was appealing to his heart. After 38 years, this man had long given in to self-pity over his particular situation. So Jesus tells him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And verse 9 says, at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. But it was the Sabbath. And there was a problem because he was carrying a burden, his mat, on the Sabbath. And that was forbidden. Now, Jerusalem was a big city, and so uh, no doubt these men did not know this particular man who sat among all these other disabled people for the last 38 years. They probably had not known about this healing that had just taken place. He walked into their presence carrying this mat. And so we shouldn't think it's all that petty that they were asking a newly healed man why he was carrying his mat instead of rejoicing with him over his healing. It's not as petty as it first may seem. But then did you notice how this healed man threw his healer under the bus? Uh, So they ask him the question, uh, who gave you permission to carry this burden on the Sabbath and break the Sabbath day? And he said, "Uh, it was the man who healed me. And they ask him the question then, well, who healed you? Now this is remarkable. He didn't know at that time. Can you imagine that? He was healed. And he was like those nine of the ten lepers. You remember that story in another place in the Gospels where ten lepers are healed by Jesus and nine go away. Only one comes to thank Jesus for what happened. This man was like those other nine lepers. He goes away, doesn't remember, didn't even think to ask who his healer was. But as the story tells us, later on Jesus finds him again. And the moment he finds out who Jesus is, He takes these now operational legs of his and brings that information 
to the authorities. Isn't that remarkable? Now, why would he do that? Well, one of the biggest fears that a Jewish person had in the first century world was to be cast out of the synagogue, to be ostracized, to be shunned. And if that happened to you in any sort of formal way, not only would you no longer get a chance to be a potluck fellowships, it was more than that. You would not have an opportunity, perhaps, to conduct business because people would stay away from your business. Your children wouldn't have any friends because uh, the children of other people, would, th th those, those children would not be sent to play with, with your children as well. It was something that people didn't want to have happen. Now, when John wrote the Gospel of John, and the Gospel of John was being distributed uh, into the churches, uh, many of the people in those churches were experiencing that very thing at this time. They were being ostracized. They were being shunned. Why? Because as Jewish people, they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and therefore they were being cast out of the synagogues. Jesus warned them that this would happen. John chapter 16. Take a look at verses 1 through 4. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when that time comes, when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. So what we're seeing in John chapter 5 is an early stage of that, an, an early indication that that is coming. During this man's 38 years of paralysis, who was he dependent upon? He was dependent upon his, 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 the, the people in his community to be able to support him and sustain him and take care of him. And now he realizes that that lifeline to the community could be severed if he remained loyal to this controversial figure named Jesus. I think that's what's behind Jesus' warning to this man. Did you, did you see the warning in verse 14? Jesus comes to him and he says, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Now, at first it seems to some people that what Jesus is saying is something in your past, some sinful behavior in your past led you to 38 years of paralysis. And if you return to that same sin, you're going to fall into paralysis again. And so people have these questions and these conversations about what in the world, what kind of sin could have created 38 years of paralysis. But that's not what Jesus is saying at all. The sin that Jesus saw in this man was the sin of, of abandonment, of betraying Jesus out of self-preservation of betraying Jesus, of refusing to stand with Jesus when the going got tough. Stop that sin, Jesus said, or something worse may happen to you. What could be worse than 38 years of paralysis? Well, we are told by Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, but whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. That is a fate worse than 38 years of paralysis. Now I want you to think about this. In just the first five chapters of the Gospel of John, just at the early stage of our walk through the Gospel of John, we already have a foreshadowing of the passion of the Christ. We know at the end of the Gospel of John that his apostles abandoned him. We know at the end of the Gospel of John that Simon Peter stands up and says to Jesus on, on, the, on the Last Supper, he says, if anybody else goes away from you, if anybody else denies you, I will not. I'm going to stand with you forever, Jesus. And Jesus says, Simon Peter, before the rooster crows announcing the, the, the next dawn, 
you're going to deny me three times. And then, of course, there's Judas. Judas, who didn't just deny him, he took his information to the authorities and said, what will you give me for giving up Jesus? All of that that you see at the end of the Gospel of John is already foreshadowed in this story of a man who denied he ever knew Jesus and a man who once was given information about who Jesus was. He took it to the authorities out of timidity, out of fear of standing with Jesus. The story in John chapter 5 then is, an, is about an unlikely healing of an unlikable man. And this story tells us some things that we need to know about how to live in the house of grace. I want you to, I want you to put yourself in the place of Jesus and then I want you to put yourself in the place of this healed man as we learn how to live in the house of grace. So if you have a pen or a pencil, write these two points down. First of all, serve faithfully like Jesus. Serve faithfully like Jesus. Usually when we read this story, we put ourselves on that dirty mat of this paralyzed man and try to imagine what it must be like to be miraculously healed as he was. And we're going to look at that in a moment, but I want you to first put yourself in the place of the Lord because he is our example for living. And we've got to imitate the Lord by faithfully serving others even when they don't deserve it. You know, you ask young adults why they chose nursing or teaching or social work or ministry, and they'll say, people, I just want to help people. And then you ask middle-aged adults what they're sick of when it comes to nursing or teaching, or social work, or ministry, they'll say people. I can't stand people. Why is that the case? Well, people will let you down. People can turn on you. People can fail to take advantage of the opportunities you give them. People can go back to the same muck and mire that you rescued them out of. People can be self-absorbed and ungrateful. Not everybody, of course. There are those success stories. There are those wonderful reports. There are those letters of gratitude that people in service have. But the reality is that sometimes the very thing that makes you want to quit serving people are the people you're serving. And if that's the case, then we need to take a look at this story and see Jesus as our example. We need to serve faithfully like Jesus did. If you ever think that all the stories of Jesus' miracles in the Bible all result in people falling down at his feet in gratitude for him, think again. This isn't the only story in the Bible where somebody who is helped by Jesus abandons him or turns away from him. Uh, and yet he didn't dole out his favors to his favorites and withhold himself from those who were undeserving. Even though Jesus knew in his sovereignty that this man was going to abandon him, he served him anyway, and he says that you and I need to do the same thing. You've had those moments, I'm sure, where you have worked so hard for your family and you don't think any of your family members really appreciate what you do, or you don't feel that the students that you teach uh, really uh, understand all the sacrifices that you've gone through. Or you do all this work in the church as a leader, paid or volunteer, and you never feel like anybody notices what you do. Jesus says, welcome to my life, but keep serving anyway. You know, our friends in liturgical churches call this upcoming week 
Holy Week, and that includes an evening that they call Monday Thursday. That word Monday comes from the Latin word mandatum, from which we get our English word mandate. And Monday Thursday commemorates that time that Jesus demonstrated something to us and then issued a mandate or a command to us, his followers. And so in John chapter 13, verse 34, he says, A new mandate, a new command I give to you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And immediately after that, uh, or he gave this command after he washed his disciples' feet, and so there must have been some sort of connection between washing his disciples' feet and this command. Uh, back in Jesus' day in the first century world, the lowest servant in the household was given the job of kneeling down before people came into the house, kneeling down at their feet, and, and washing the mud and the dust off of their feet before they brought that mud and dust into the house. Jesus, in John chapter 13, took this lowest servant's position and washed his apostles' feet. I wonder, what he, I, wonder, I wonder what went through his mind as he knelt down before these apostles who were going to abandon him in just a few hours. I wonder what went through his mind as he knelt down before the feet of Simon Peter who would deny him and Judas whom he knew had already betrayed him and yet Jesus served them anyway. And Jesus serves us in our undeservedness. This, this act of washing their feet was a symbol of his life and his ministry and his death on the cross, which was meant to come and wash the muck and the mud and the dust of our own sins off ourselves by a humiliating act of service. That's what Jesus was doing when he was washing their feet. He was, he was demonstrating his entire life, and he was demonstrating the death he was going to die on the very next day. He served them, and he serves us, just as in John chapter 5, he serves a paralytic who would turn on him. Now, this is exactly the opposite way that our world defines power. You look into the corporate world, you look into the political world, and you will find that the world says the path to power is to reward those who can do something for you and to punish those who stand in your way. And yet here is the most powerful being in the universe who kneels down before the undeserving and washes their feet. And then he takes the wash towel and he turns to you and to me and he says, now it's your turn. We need to serve faithfully, even as Jesus did. One thing we learn from today's story is that sometimes we'll serve people as undeserving as this man who was served by Jesus in John chapter 5. We need to do it anyway. Here's another thing we learn from this story. You can write this down. Stand faithfully with Jesus. So we serve faithfully like Jesus, and we're to stand faithfully with Jesus. This man in our story, he was finally given the power to stand, and then he would not stand. What I mean was he was given the power to stand physically, and then he would not stand spiritually. When he found out the name of the one who had healed him, he used his now workable legs to bring that information to the authority so he himself would not get in trouble. Jesus told this man in verse 14, See, you're well again. Stop sinning so something worse uh, won't happen to you. In other words, you've been given the power to stand physically, so stand spiritually because if you keep disowning me, I will disown you before my Father in heaven. 
That's a warning that we all need to take to heart, especially in this day and age where it's getting harder to be publicly identified as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are a biblically faithful Christian, in our world today, it is getting harder to follow Jesus Christ. Now, if you're a biblically compromised Christian, that's another thing. But if you're a biblically faithful Christian, in other words, if you're taking all that Jesus says in his word, not just the things that will make you liked, but also the things that will make you hated, if you take all of that seriously and you, and you try to practice it and you believe it and you proclaim it and you follow it, it's going to get harder and harder for you to do that successfully. There will be consequences in the corporate world, in the academic world, in the world of the arts, even in the seemingly neutral world of sports, you're going to find it's getting harder to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. In those times, are you going to be like the man in this story who was served by Jesus so wonderfully and yet he would not stand by Jesus when the time came for him to do so? You know, it'd be a instructive for us to compare what happened in this story to what happens in a story we're going to look, like, look at in a few weeks when we get to John chapter 9. In John chapter 5, Jesus heals a lame man. In John chapter 9, Jesus heals a blind man. In both cases, the healings took place on a Sabbath. And therefore, in both cases, the men could sense that they were going to get in trouble if they didn't reveal to the authorities Who had done this labor on the Sabbath? In both cases, at the start, they didn't know their healer. In both cases, Jesus later meets with them, the lame man who is healed and the blind man who is healed. And that's where the stories diverge because in John chapter 5, when the man finds out who it is, he brings the, the information to the authorities because he doesn't want to be identified with Jesus. In John chapter 9... When the man finds out who Jesus is, he falls down at his feet and he says, Lord, I believe. Which one are you going to be? In this day when it's getting harder and harder to be publicly identified as a biblically faithful Christian, are you going to be like the man in John chapter 5 or are you going to be like the man in John chapter 9? It's our responsibility to make sure that when Jesus serves, when we recognize how Jesus serves us so well, that in gratitude and a response to him, we stand with him even when it gets tough to do so. At the start of the message, I mentioned Johnny Erickson Tata and and how in the first years of her paralysis, she often thought about this story of the man beside Bethesda, and she prayed and expected and hoped that that kind of healing would come to her. In in the latest of one of her many books that she has written, she has written a 30-day devotional guide, and it's called Beside Bethesda. And in that book, she recounts the opportunity she finally had to go to the Holy Land. After many, many years of writing books and public speaking and advocating for the disabled and inspiring millions of people, she finally had a chance to go to the Holy Land. And and one place she wanted to go was beside Bethesda. And she went to that pool in Jerusalem uh, beside the the, the pool of Bethesda. And, And there she... She reflected over how she had asked for healing in the past, and she reflected over how God had granted her the only healing that really counted after all. And in this book, she, she puts the words down that she prayed to God beside Bethesda. She said, thank you for the healing you gave me, the deeper healing. Oh, God, you were 
so wise in not giving me a physical healing because that no has meant yes to a stronger faith in you, a deeper prayer life, a greater understanding of your word. It has purged sin from my life. It has forced me to depend on your grace, and it has increased my compassion for others who hurt. It has stretched my hope. It has given me a lively, buoyant trust in you. It has stirred an excitement about heaven. It has pushed me to give thanks in times of sorrow. It has increased my faith and helped me to love you more, Jesus. The man in our story was given the power to stand. And then he did not stand in the only way that really counts. Johnny Erickson Tata was not given the power to stand and yet she has been standing for Jesus for over the last 50 years. Which one would you rather be? This story challenges us to serve faithfully like Jesus and to stand faithfully with Jesus. That's what it means to live life in the house of grace. But I'm so glad it's called the house of grace because when it comes to serving faithfully like Jesus, when it comes to standing faithfully like Jesus or with Jesus, I don't always do that well. And I know that, that you don't as well. And, and if that's the case, if, if even this past week you have failed in some way to stand with Jesus or to serve like Jesus, then what you need to do is return to him the same way you first came to him thanking him and trusting his grace and the work of his cross to restore you all over again. Now, before we close, let me mention some resources that we've got coming up that will help you grow in this trust in the work of Jesus, the grace of Jesus. Uh, first, as uh, Mike mentioned and as John mentioned, we're going to be releasing a special uh, video of worship music and a message on this Good Friday. And so wherever you watch this service by live stream or on Facebook or on our website, wherever, you'll be able to tune in when it's, when it, when it's first broadcast or, or at any time after that. And, and I hope that what it'll do is help you reflect appropriately on what Jesus has done for you on the cross. Just as he washed the feet of the disciples, he washed sin from your life by serving you on the cross. And that's something we must receive, and that's must, something we must imitate throughout the rest of our lives in service to other people. So it's always good for us to reflect in music and in a message on the cross. And so I hope that you'll take advantage of that special video this Good Friday. Here's a second resource for you. If you're asking questions about this remarkable man named Jesus whom we've been looking at today, then I'm going to be leading a study every Wednesday for a couple of months called the Anchor Course, like a ship's anchor, the Anchor Course. And it's, a, it's an introduction to Christianity for those who are asking questions of the faith or people who are wanting to grow in the faith. And there's more information about that on our website or in our online bulletin today. And the third resource I want to mention is if you want to know more about our church's mission and our church's message, then just stay in this building or online today after the last song is, is, is played. I'll walk back up on the stage and the live stream will just continue and I'm going to be teaching a 45-minute class called Discover Hillcrest. Discover Hillcrest is uh, a membership class for those who are ready to join, but it's also just a get acquainted class for those who are trying to learn a little bit more about our church, our mission, our vision, our message, and uh, I, I hope that you'll hang around a little bit longer and be a part of that if you haven't had an opportunity to do so. Those are some resources that can help you grow in greater trust in Jesus. But right now what I want us to do, I want to lead you in a word of prayer to come into our relationship with Jesus or 
strengthen your relationship with Jesus. So let's pray right now. This concludes our podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Join us next time as Dr. Goodman continues through the Gospel of John with a message titled, Awakened by the Voice of Jesus. I'm your host, John Parker, and this has been Hillcrest To Go. For more information, please contact us at hillcrest.church.